Well, good day to you, EOC. It's Matt and Brody. We're back. We are back. Could be evening, though, when you're listening to it. And so, good evening as well. Good morning. Mm. Good night, if you're one of those people. Yeah. Um, we've got a special guest star with us today, and it's not Brody this week. It is our old friend, <coughs> Harold the Heresy Hog. Um, we thought we'd bring him along because we're starting to review the studies uh, written by the students. <laughs> so, he wasn't necessary last week, obviously, because of us pros. Yeah, there's no chance of that. No, no. So um, let, let's do some tests. Um, there's no such thing as the Trinity. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, yeah, you've got a test. Mm, Jesus is not God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Harold, Harold's doing pretty good. Yeah, okay. Um, Matt is great. <laughs> okay, for the record, Brody lunged across the table to squeeze yeah, that. Well, it's, yeah, it's not, not an equal distribution of power here. Yeah, look, all, right. okay, all, all I'm saying is that he wasn't... It, it, can something that is by definition not about God be heresy? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that was an unnecessary heresy hook squeeze. But anyway, Harold's here with us. Um, we're going to be jumping into Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, verse 4. Um, but before we do that, um, I'm going to get Brody to pray, um, and then I'm going to outline the basic format for these podcasts for the rest of the semester. Mm, that's great. Heavenly Father, please help us now as we engage with your word and as we think about how best to teach it to others. Help us to understand clearly what it says and give us the words so that we can lead your people well into the truth. Amen. Amen. Cool. Um, the format of the podcast is really going to be the same as last semester. It happened in four blocks. Um, the first was a very brief recap of the week that's just been, um, a chance for me to offer some observations about the study, about how the studies were led, um, and hopefully we can learn from those observations. Uh, then we'll move into the second of four parts, which is the largest part of the podcast, which reviews the study. So each week, um, a Bible study team, uh, leader team, will... Uh, send me the study and Brody and I will sit through it here and read through it and basically talk about it. Mm. Um, for those of you who are new to this, um, yes, that means we'll be critiquing you on air um, to your peers. <laughs> but um, at the same time, you know, we critique each other as well. That, that is very true and we don't always agree. Um, but the, 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 part, the point of this process really is to um, be engaging and, and, and assessing. And that process, as you hear us discuss it, is helpful for you, whether or not you've read the study. And so this is a way that we all grow together. It's a trial by fire that everyone will go through. So don't stress too much. Um, and that's the second part of the study. Afterwards, we'll move on to the third part of the study, which is my attempt to, again, communicate some more practical leading skills for Bible study. Um, and Brody and I draw on our extensive wisdom um, <laughs> to to help help you lesser folk. Yeah, the priesthood of all believers there. Nobody's yeah. lesser here. Um, but hopefully, because we've been around a bit longer, we may have something of use for you guys as you lead the study. Um, it's the same principle as section two, isn't it? We want to learn from each other. Yeah. So we we see what each of us do and. You know, as we kind of think about whether that's helpful or not, we can hopefully grow. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the, the fourth part of the podcast will just be highlighting a Protestant Catholic distinction um, that might arise in the passage. Now, this probably won't happen every week, uh, but the weeks that it happens, it'll be on the end. The, uh, the cynics amongst you might think <laughs> that that's because of poor timing on our part. Well, 
I just want to say, you might be right. Yeah, we've had real trouble actually keeping this to a manageable length. I mean, we haven't even started, and it's four minutes in, <laughs> so that's 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 problematic. Which is this is, is a, you know, if this keeps happening. They'll just skip to five minutes in to start listening. Yeah, that's right. And so that's why we brought Harold because hopefully he'll um, keep us on track. Um, but because we can't keep to length, it's <laughs> you, that's not required listening. I'm not expecting you to listen to it. It's really there for your interest. Um, today we'll be talking about Revelation. So there's that to whet your appetite. But uh, let's just jump straight in and have a look at section one, which is the recap. Mm. Um, I uh, observed a, a few things this week, uh, which were not unexpected to me. Um, they're all kind of the basic classic little things that kind of happen when you first start up a group. Um, one of them was uh, that uh, you answered your own questions. Uh, and the second was that the majority of the groups that I saw sped through the material and what I think was a Bible study that, that was a good length and could have gone for the 50 minutes or so. Uh, some groups finished in 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and then just ended Bible study. Um, and so I wanted to kind of pick apart that observation just very briefly for you um, and kind of discuss it. What, what I saw, if you remember, the study had three sections. We had the get to know you's, the expectations, um, and then the Bible study itself. And particularly in those first two sections, um, no, you didn't settle there. Um, you asked the question, you went around the circle and got everyone to answer. Everyone answered just once. There's no elaborations. There was no calls to uh, explain what they meant or get other people to voice comment. Mm. And it really just felt like a box ticking exercise. Mm. Um, now, that's okay. Um, not ideal. Um, because it's an opportunity as always to particularly in that first week to get people talking mm. um, and if we just treat it as an, uh, an activity on a sheet that we work through you, you won't achieve what you're trying to achieve mm. and so we'll talk about that hopefully a little bit later on in our tips and tricks section in section three um, but yeah instead of seeking to just answer the questions on the sheet you've also got to be thinking what is it that I'm trying to achieve when I do this mm. Um, and if the first section, for example, is getting to know everybody, just getting everyone to go around and say their name, their church, and what ticks them off, and then we move right on. Um, as a Bible study leader, ask follow-up questions. We'll be talking about that a bit later as well. Um, follow on. If somebody says they really like soccer, go, oh, really? What team do you like? Like, actually draw people out into sharing and discussing who they are. And they're actually, perhaps we could have suggested this last week, there are some ways that you can do that section which make sure that it's interactive. You know, so what would be your favorite superpower? And then someone else has to limit it in some way. Like, you know, actually having a, some kind of activity that you're doing or yeah, get to know you stimulates thing. engagement. Yeah, yeah. Other people need to contribute and interact yeah. with each other. And so, like, to extend that example, then in the second section with the expectations, again, people went around the circle and just said one thing that they um, didn't like or wanted to have, and then, and then that was it. Um, none of the groups I was in actually stopped and summarized. Um, what people had said and drew out the key ideas, which is a great way to consolidate what you were doing. Um, but more often than not too, rather than doing the, the part in three questions, which was what's a bad experience you've had, what's a good experience you've had in the past, and then the third question, what are the sort of things that you're expecting from this study, you asked them all in one hit. Um, people didn't answer all of them or didn't answer all of them thoroughly. Um, but instead what you could have done is you could have done each question separately um, either going around the circle or I actually think would have been better just getting people to contribute. That's their first opportunity to contribute off their own bat. Um, it means that people 
can talk when they feel like it rather than knowing they're waiting for the circle to go around until it's their turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of each three of those things is the leader going. So it sounds to me like a lot of you guys had problems with um, the way the groups functioned relationally. People just didn't seem committed to one another. Um, you don't have to say anything more than that, but you're just drawing attention to what they've said so that the next section when they say things that were good, oh, it sounds like you loved it when you felt comfortable to talk. Um, and then when you go to the expectations. So as we've discussed, there's a whole bunch of things here. Mm. Maybe can I highlight for you what I'm hearing from the group? Mm. Would you agree? Um, and that process can actually take a long time. Um, and it's not the length that we're going for, but it's the thoroughness, I think, at this point mm. that I didn't see in this week's studies. Mm. And the, the kind of meta goal throughout all of that, which is actually to set the tone for the rest of the semester. Yeah, yeah. So people and, contributing and, and, and bond that group together yeah, in so. trust very early on. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that uh, some of you answered your own questions. We'll get to that in part three. Uh, but one other thing that I just did want to um, interject here in, in the first section before we move on to the study proper um, is we had a great question um, in one of the studies this week from a person from a Catholic background, um, and he asked who the author of Hebrews was. And when we said we didn't know, that actually made him trust the book less. Um, and I found that it was just really interesting uh, and something to flag for everyone's knowledge and just not the group that it happened to. Because um, I think it's a brilliant question. Because if we don't know it, how do we, if we don't know who wrote it, how do we know whether we can trust it or not? Um, the way that I answered that was to point to a few things in the text itself. Um, Timothy is mentioned uh, in, I think, chapter 13, towards the end. Yep, right at the end in verse 23. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Um, And he also, much earlier on in chapter 2, verse 3, which is in our passage today, actually says that the message was declared first by the Lord and then attested to us by those who heard, in other words, the eyewitnesses. So there are some things in this um, book that historically grounds it um, and then therefore makes it falsifiable. If this guy was making up his connections then when this letter originally circulated, it would have gotten shut down pretty quickly. Mm. Um, As it is, it endured and went through the early church who attested its uh, divine origin. And so those things alone are enough, I think, to And thinking about the kind of text it is as well, I think that you mentioned that then, Mm. uh, it seems different to other letters that we have. So working out why that is, uh, you know, other letters, they have an introduction where it says, Paul is writing this. Right. You know, that's quite clear. Mm-hmm. This one, it doesn't have that. And so we were talking last week about how potentially this is actually a sermon, mm-hmm. a written down mm-hmm. sermon, uh, which means that it's a slightly different text type, uh, which I think partly goes away to explaining. Well, yeah, and that's really helpful because what, what it also means is I don't have to start the EOC Bible talks every week with, Hi, my name is Matt Smith. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. I'm here to give you a sermon to you who are at EOC, grace and peace. Point one. I give thanks. <laughs> That's right. I give thanks for you always in my prayers, asking God that I somehow might be able to speak to you. So yeah, so the text type does determine what we should expect reasonably as well. Um, so that's fair. But anyway, that's just something for you, if you're in knowledge. You don't have to say that to your groups, but if the question does come up, there's um, your answer. And hopefully it gives you personally confidence in, in what it is you're teaching. Mm. Uh, with that in mind, let's head to section number two. Mm. Um, only 12 minutes in. We're doing pretty good today. Um, and we've got the study from Eman and Josh. A shout out to them. Thank you so much for serving us and being the first guys to do a study for us. 
And uh, I'd like to say I've seen E-Man because he did a little video telling me about what uh, the, the conference He did, like. he did. So the Brody is one of our um, supporters. He prays for us regularly. Um, and he got to hear from the video that I put in our prayer letter. So yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Cool. Nice to, um, talk to you. We like Josh too, though. We just want to throw that one well, out I there. Just haven't yet. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure, sure. Anyway, okay, so, so the study. Um, the passage is Hebrews 1 1 to 2, verse 4. So we'll be recovering some old territory that we did last week, um, but also finishing off what is one whole section. Mm. Um, so that's our intent. Um, can I suggest that you pause the podcast now if you haven't read it to get it into your head? Um, and to also have it open in front of you as we discuss it because we want you engaging with the Word. Um, so pull it out on your phone or your Bible, um, phone if you're moving, otherwise you should have your paper Bible, no excuses. Even if you're moving. Yeah, even if you're moving, that's right. Um, cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with this overview box and then we're going to look at the, the Bible study in general. Um, so we have four things in the box. Um, what is the passage about? Why was the passage written? then a main point and a big question. Now the purpose of this box, uh, for those of you who are new uh, to leading Bible studies ESC this semester, is to help clarify what it is we're trying to achieve with the Bible study. It gives us basically the vital statistics, so that as we're asking questions and moving through the study, we know what it is that we're trying to reveal, we know what it is that we're trying to establish and get to. Mm. Um, now as we read this, we've got what is the passage about? Um, they've written the sun being compared to the angels and the sun being the prophesied Davidic king. So Brody, have you got some thoughts yeah. straight so off from here? There's definitely some truth to, to that statement that uh, those things are in the passage, but I think it misses misses the center. Yeah. So the, the why, which is the next question, that's going to get to you know why it's written and that's important as well. But even as we think about the what, that's attached to the why. Uh, and so I think... As we try and work out what this passage says and why it's written, we need to work out, well, not just the, that section 5 to 14, which really is the Jesus better than angels and mm -hmm. being the, the king, but actually what, what that section in 1, one to, to 4 and 2, 1 to 4 is, is doing on the other side as well. Yeah, that's right. And so whilst um, I think a shallow description would be able to say, yes, the sun is being compared to angels, that is very obvious in verse 5 to verse 14, I don't actually think that that is what the passage is thoroughly talking yeah. about. So it's there. Yeah. It's just not the same. Um, and so like Brody said, you've got to think about what's on either side of it and what holds it all together. And it, it does link the why in this case as well, which I think is pretty significant. Um, but I want to ask a different why, not the why in our summary box, but why would the author be comparing Jesus to the angels? Mm. It's a slightly different why question because it's not why was this entire passage written, but why this part of the passage is the author making this And it was obvious to get one. there, wasn't it? it yeah, yeah. It, it's the mini Y that leads to the big the mini Y. Mini Y. The lowercase. The lowercase. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and I think as you read it, the reason that he is comparing the angels to Jesus is because of chapter 2, verse 2. Um, look at what it says. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first declared at, it was declared at first by the Lord, and then on and on it goes. And so, in other words, what the author is comparing here is two messages: mm. um, a message from angels and a message from the Lord, who we know to be the Son, mm. uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what his point is, is that if we took the message of the angels seriously, if somebody better than them comes along, as we've seen in verses 5 through to 14, then what the heck would we be doing if we ignored that guy? Mm. And it's what we've already seen hinted at in the start of chapter 1. That mm-hmm. There's two messages. God used to speak through the prophets mm-hmm. in lots of different ways, but now this is something different. This mm. is qualitatively different. This is through Jesus. This is a different type of revelation. Mm. And, and not just a different type of revelation, but a final revelation in these last days. Um, and that it starts then to move us towards the actual why of the passage, because we see there in chapter 2, verse 1, so that, that last four verses, chapter 2, 1 to 4, really does kind of bring the capstone to everything that we've read in chapter 1 and make sense of it. Listen to what he says, verse 1, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Um, and I think what that's really saying is that whoever he's speaking to is tempted to move back to a message yeah. spoken by angels rather than the message that they've heard from Jesus, who is greater than those angels. I think right there, that's our why for this message. And I think that's our application. That's a really big application that we need to make sure comes out from the study. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, we've actually gotten to the the crux of this matter much faster than we normally do, so we can pat ourselves on the back for this one. (laughs) Um, What is the passage about? Well, I actually want to argue that the passage is about the reliable message of the sun being listened to, or something like that. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure the wording is quite to either our satisfaction that I've said well, that. Yeah. <laughs> is it, is it, could it just be a direct quote from chapter 1, verse 2, um, that God has spoken finally and definitively by his son? Yeah, so... I, hmm. Yes. Or is it that... The son's message, because this is our problem, guys, as we're trying to think of it. it. It's not doing justice to the entirety of the passage, which is talking about another message, which is reliable, but still inferior. Yes. Yeah, so I think, I think you're right. At 1 verse 2, God has spoken finally through his son. Yeah, that's, that's really good and key, but I think we're just missing uh, that revelation is different. Yeah. So could you say that... The message that God spoke through his son is superior mm. to the message God spoke through his angels. I think so. I think that captures the what. It's got a it's a different picture, right? Than uh, than just throughout history, God has a certain message for different people at different times. And we've just got to live in the age that we're in to hear the message that we're in. Actually it's progressive. Mm. God is telling his people more and more that so that they can know him better and better. Now we we know him through Jesus. This is the fullest revelation that we can have. Yeah. So if that's the case, that the message spoken, uh, that God speaks through his son is superior to the one he spoke through the angels, then that moves us to the why. Why would the author of the Hebrews want us to know this? Well, it's what we said just before, chapter 2, verse 1. It's so that we will actually pay much closer attention to the message we've heard from Jesus, Mm. lest we drift away. Mm. And that's the why, basically. He doesn't want them to go to the inferior message. He wants them to keep holding to the superior message. Mm. Um, and so really then, um, if we shift down to our final two things, our main point, our big question, um, just to make a distinction here for, for us as Bible study leaders, um, the first two questions there, what is the passage about? Why is the passage, why is the passage written? They're questions that summarize the passage. But the next two, the main point and the big question, those two things summarize the study. Mm. Um, and those, you've you got you to have that difference in mind. 
um, the passage is different to the study because the passage is going to say a heck of a lot more than the study will be able to achieve. Um, the study needs to be pointed and intentional. And so by having a main point and a big question, uh, when we start the study, we are very clear on what it is that we're trying to achieve. And it's the distinction between what was written to them and what it says to us, Yeah, I think. Yeah, so, it, it allows for a shift, Yeah, um, which is much more important for Old Testament books. Definitely. Um, less so for the New Testament when we're in the last days, the same time frame as this author says, in the last days the sun spoke. However, sometimes it can change. Well, I think it's still it's important to remember because you... When you come to the New Testament, it's not written to you. It, it never is. It's never written to you. <laughs> no, it's I'm written glad for that I brought the Harold. It's written for Harold. you, but it's not written to you. Yeah, okay, cool. I'll buy that. But in another sense, it is written to you. Sure. God, yes, God has your mind as he superintends the words of Scripture. But mm-hmm. as the author is writing to his audience, he's not thinking of you. That is true. Paul, as he writes the Ephesians, isn't going, you know mm. what? Oh, Brody... He's going to really... You should really and, pay attention and to this. And this is, this is actually really helpful, right? Because um, what we can gather from the book of Hebrews is that it's written to a bunch of Jewish converts, mm. or rather converts to Christianity who were, who were previously Jews. That's right. And so the main application point really is don't go back to Judaism. Yeah. Now, I would say the substantial amount of EOCers don't have that temptation. Yeah, well, you might be tempted to go to it for the first time, maybe, <laughs> but you're but not, you're going, not back. going back. Yeah, and so it, there is a danger in going, oh, well, if it doesn't directly apply to me, it doesn't apply at all. And so that's why we have that distinction, the main point and the big question. Yep. Um, so if we were to offer a main point for the study, they've written here, the sun is God and superior to angels. Um, I probably want to suggest that whilst it's true in the passage that the sun is God and that he is superior to angels, again, it misses the, the wider point um, which is um, the message of Jesus that God speaks shouldn't be ignored. Mm. Yeah, um, I feel like that would something along those lines mm. would would be sufficient. Um, and then the big question is always the analog of the main point, so it just reflects the main point. And so I wonder whether the big question would be something along the lines of: um, Is there anything that would cause you to walk away from the message of Jesus? Yeah. I think, so you want to make sure that in the study that gets filled out a bit more and gets a bit more specific, mm. um, which I think you've got room to do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I think. okay. I, I guess I'm thinking this is written to, to Jewish Christians, right? So they're people who already understand that about Jesus. They're already Christians. And yet the author is still saying, don't give it up. So I like that it's it's from that perspective. You're a Christian, but you're not out of the danger of thinking that you've moved away. You know, mm. you've you've become more mature. You know, you've if you wanted to be really spiritual, you'd go after X, Y, Z yeah. instead of Jesus. Yeah, but this is also help, helpful because it helps us bind in some of these other things that were a bit confusing, like all of this stuff about the sun in verses one to four in chapter one. The reason that stuff is there is not because that's the main point, but because the author is trying to impress upon the people he's writing to that the guy who brought this message to you, Mm. no one's better. Mm. Um, He made the world. He sustains the world. His name um, and his being is far superior to the angels who brought the Old Testament. Um, So yeah, no, I am am happy with that question. I think, is there anything that would take you away from 
from this message would you? Yeah, or cause you to doubt it. Like you, you could change it um, to accommodate for those who aren't Christians, yeah. for example. Who, and there are a number in the groups. But yeah. Um, skimming quickly down through the study then, um, let's have a look at some of the questions they've got. Um, the launching question, do you have authority or power over anyone? Um, I actually think that that's a great launching question if the main point of the study was about the power of and the superiority of the sun. But as it is, it's actually about the message of a superior messenger. And so I wonder whether you could actually just tweak that launching question and say something like, um, have you ever disregarded or not listened to someone powerful? What happened? Mm. Um, because that's a bit of a, a non sequitur. Like, that won't make sense to anyone until they get to the end of the study. Because at the moment, we're still thinking, what the heck's with the angels? We're not even thinking messages at that point. Mm. Um, I don't know, it's a thought. Yeah. But I think there's lots of ways you can draw in this picture of, you know, escalating something. Mm-hmm. When you're not happy with the response that you got from mum, you go to dad because he might, you know, he might let you do he it. He might give you the <laughs> swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Insight into Matt's childhood, right? Yeah, yeah, it never <laughs> happened, boys and girls. It never happened. Anyway, <laughs> but that's like, that's food for thought. Let's continue down because we don't have that much time anymore. <laughs> um, we've got a table, which yeah, I think I really, is brilliant. I really like that. I think that's really good because this whole chapter is comparing Jesus and, and angels. Yeah. So that's what we want to do. And so it's a great way of actually, um, yeah, just engaging with the details of the text. And in the grain of the text as well, mm. going in the direction it wants to. Mm. And determining different things um one warning um brady did point this out earlier um you actually you probably won't see this because we will modify the table (laughs) Uh, but be careful about what you infer from the comparisons you see um so i think that um fundamentally what the inference of the whole thing is is that the sun is superior to angels um yeah but I think that's just the main point, so that's okay, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, we've then got a question here, what do you think, uh, what did we find out about the sun last week? And then it's basically just a recap of the previous question we asked. I reckon if you're going to ask this question, you should do it right at the beginning yeah. when you recap the thing. Because otherwise it'll come out when you when you do the table. Yeah, that's right. And so I think we'll relocate that and put it up the top um, as a means of, yeah, um, helping people get in and then as you kind of recap and think of those seven things that are listed about the sun, you can re-raise the question of, hang on a minute, yeah, we never really figured out the angels thing. Mm. Well, the rest of the passage gives us the opportunity to do it, so why don't we try? Yeah. Segway to the table. So there's questions. One I think that's two, a, nice, right? a nice segue. Yeah. And I think it, I'm not sure, have they actually planned to have a table that you fill out? Is that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, this is, we've got the answers that they've given us here. Yeah, in the table. I think it would be a good idea to get like a, a sheet of paper, butcher's paper or yep. something small if you want to do it in pairs and actually draw a line down the middle and actually write it out and do the comparisons. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, this is a good activity to do in pairs and actually get people getting to know each other yeah, and interacting that you can then feed back. Similar to what I did at NYC, if you remember, you guys did tables in groups and then we did the big one on the board. That's a good way of just making sure we're all on the same page. Um, going through to uh, number three, draw comparisons between the sun and the angels. Really, that's a question that says summarize the table. Mm. Um, it should be there, which is really good, so we'll leave it. Well, you could even um, potentially, I mean, it depends how you're, you're running it. I don't think that's necessarily a question that needs to be separate. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to go and do that again after you've already done it. So I think that's a question for the leader 
to actually, you know, once everyone's done their table, let's draw it back. Tell us what you think. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so um, then we move on to number four and number five, which are the last two questions. Um, number Question number four, we know the prophecies or statements in verses five to, it says 18 then, I'm assuming it should be 14, um, but where are they explicitly fulfilled in the passage? Um, and then you point to verses one to four. I think it's actually, is it five to eight? No, yeah, it should be 14, it doesn't really matter. Okay. Um, maybe they've got four extra verses of Hebrews we don't know about. Ooh. We should ask them about it later. Um, and then you've kind of got the answer here that there's some Davidic and Messianic Psalms. Um, interestingly, some of them aren't Messianic, at least not on a first glance. We, mm. I can't confirm that, and maybe the Jewish tradition holds that they are, but what's curious about some of these quotes, and we won't get bogged down here, is that they're not readily, obviously attached to the psalm. Yeah, they seem like they're talking about God instead of yeah. instead of David or a king. Which is actually quite significant, particularly like in verse 8 where he says, but of the son he says, your throne, O God. So he's making some wild claims about yeah. this son who brings us the message. Um, Which raises really interesting questions about how you interpret the Old Testament. Mm. I think I'm much bigger. We probably don't have time. No, we don't have time. That's something to. It does raise them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brody. <laughs> I'm still right. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I think that, and then the fifth question is: the son fulfills prophecy, so how are we to respond to this fulfillment of prophecy? Um, my question is: what what fulfillment of what prophecy are you talking about here? Um, is it the message that he declared, the gospel? Um, if so. Um, Sure, he fulfilled that prophecy. I don't think that prophecy is mentioned in this chapter, though. It's yeah. mentioned in other books of the Bible. Um, the Son of Man must suffer, be killed, and on the third day rise again. Like this is Mark uh, 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. We saw that last semester. But I think taking this route about fulfillment of prophecies, that's not actually what gives Jesus the substance um, or the gives us the reason to take him seriously. Yeah. And in this chapter... Yes, Jesus, or the author of Hebrews, shows that Jesus is superior to angels by referring to the Old Testament. So in a way, yeah, he's fulfilling prophecy, but he's not. the author is not trying to show that Jesus is better because he fulfills prophecy. Mm -hmm. He's using prophecy to show that he is better. Yeah, and, and, and having those two in the right um, order is really important here. Um, and so really, um, the question should be something along the lines of what, what are the qualifications of the son that make his message worth listening to? Yeah, I like it. Or something along those lines. Mm. Um, and then, yeah. which Because it, it goes in interesting places. You know, it's, it's not just that he's, you know, cooler or, you know, bigger, been around longer. Like, those are all true. Cooler? Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also that he's he's the appointed king. He's the one who rules forever. He is the one who is in charge. Like mm. I think that's what those prophecies or those psalms are really coming together mm. to, to say. Yeah, and so what I think you need here at the end of this study, and we'll add this in, is a question that, that actually brings it back down to the message he speaks. So, you know, the warning in chapter 2, 1 to 4. Um, and then with a question that, is basically an application question that reflects it back on us. Yeah, because this last one, question five at the moment, it is getting to application. I think that's where it's wanting to go, but it is starting quite broad. Yeah. How should we respond? Which and this is always is, the temptation to do. Yeah, yeah, it? and this is the thing that we jumped on you guys for quite consistently last semester. Worst application question possible is how would you apply this passage? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we need to get a bit more specific. 
uh, and think about how we might answer or ask the question to get them to think about it. And I think you try and match the contours of the passage. So I'm looking at chapter 2, verse 1. I'm saying we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Mm. So maybe we could use that phrase and we could say, what would cause us to drift away from the message of Jesus? Mm. Um, mm. And then maybe you want to offer some suggestions. Would it be um, an alternate message, like the ones that you would hear in the media? Or would it be another religion? Mm. Um, yeah. Um, could it be that you have an atheist family and that might be the thing that draws you away? It won't be Judaism. Um, well, it, might be. it might be. That's true, but unlikely. And so the question is, you've got to ask the, the thing, what inferior message mm. could you be tempted to listen to? Yeah. And what's going to stop you from listening to it? And I think as you think about this whole section and to do the study on it, there are lots of things that you could spend time on so each of those references throughout chapter 1, they're all going back to different parts of the Old Testament. You know, ideally, you'd go back and you'd read the whole psalm, you know, see what the whole thing is saying. But you just you can't do that in the time that you've got. Uh, even, you know, 2 verse 4, there's, there's a question there that could come up about signs and wonders and their place now in the church. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things you could say. I think it's, it's got to be really thought out in how you spend yeah. your time. So stay on track, guys. Um, Obviously, there'll be times to answer questions, uh, but remember that you can shelve them. Mm. And if people ask random left-field questions, you can say it's a great question. How about we touch base with that after the study or towards the end of the study? But for now, I want to keep on this task. Yeah, or if there's something that is really interesting that someone just really wants to know, send it as homework. (laughs) Tell them, why don't you think about that and we can talk about it next week. Yeah, pretty well. Anyway, let's speed through the next two sections. Um, Again... um, (laughs) Um, we really need to work hard on this and we will work hard on keeping it short for you guys to make this manageable I wonder Um, maybe they could listen at one and a half speed or something yeah they probably do already (laughs) maybe that just makes your voice more easy to listen to (laughs) look I'd believe it Um, I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, tips and tricks mainly about asking follow up questions Um, one of the things that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is that um, nobody asks follow-up questions and instead they ask the question and then when they were you know, crickets chirping for 10 seconds, they would then answer the question um, themselves. Um, golden rule of Bible study, never do that unless you're desperate. Um, there will be times where it's appropriate, uh, but more often than not, what you want to try and do is you want to sit in that tension. And I know it's really hard, particularly as you're starting off, because there's this terror that if you ask the question and nobody answers it, what will happen and so you want to jump in and then you basically just give the answer and diffuse the tension but you are the tension master you're the tension creator in bible studies your your responsibility is to not get rid of the tension now there's too many knots in there hey right your responsibility is to build it and make them feel it and make them want to resolve it Uh, and so the thing that i want you to get good at is asking follow-up questions or intermediate questions Questions that don't answer, but nudge people closer and closer to the answer. Um, So, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, From this passage or last week? Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying. I probably should have prepped one earlier. Like this bit, this danger of following angels and. Yeah, because we will put that into the study too. It's just. Um, yeah, it is a good example. We're going to introduce something into this study and we're going to ask the question um, along the lines of um, 
if you heard a message from angels, would you be in danger of taking it seriously? Mm. Um, because the reality is, I don't think you would be. Um, it's a bit of an odd thing. Like it feels so specific. It's like, what, what is Hebrews? Is Hebrews made up of a whole bunch of weird anime angel worshippers or something like that? <laughs> Um, you mean not the book the people that are yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 and so is it just like a really specific problem or why, yeah why is it that he's telling yeah. them not to go after him? and how could this possibly apply to me and so those are the sorts of questions that you want to be asking and just let people yeah. sit in and so sometimes it's too big to just ask what's going on yeah like, you know you can't do that you can do it with an experienced Bible study but more often than not you need to think of the stages and the logic yeah. steps you need to take to get to the point point. and you might still ask that first question but it's the realizing they're not going to answer. They're a little bit unsure. Mm. Uh, and so then you help them out with the follow-up question. That's a step along that path. Yeah. So an, an example might be like, if you're trying to get to the point, why, like the big question is why would the author compare the son to the angels? The answer is he's, it, to show that he's superior and therefore his message is superior. Mm. That's a big step. Not mm. everyone can do that in one hit. Mm. And so maybe what you want to do is the intermediate question is, well, how might, verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 1 um, link with verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 2 because there you're linking together the God speaking through different things except in chapter 1 verses 1 to 2 it's via the prophets and the son and in chapter 2 1 and 2 it's the son and angels mm. and so you're starting to see a parallelism that might help people make the links that they otherwise wouldn't be able yeah, to do. Or you might even be able to ask, well, where in the Bible have you seen a message that's delivered by angels? You know, there's a lot of places you could go that take you away from the study there. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Galatians 3.19, that's somewhere where it kind of makes it more explicit that the Old Testament law, the, the covenant, was mm. handed down through angels. Which will be in the study as well. Mm. So, yeah, that's just something to think about. Um, we'll talk more about that in coming to weeks and as I talk to you in person. Uh, but for now, thank you for listening. Sorry that it's longer than normal, um, and we will do better. Uh, but feel free to disappear. Um, I'll give it a couple of seconds, and then I'm going to just launch straight into a Protestant and Catholic distinctive uh, that we can draw from this passage. Alrighty, I'm assuming that those who don't want to listen have turned off the podcast, and we've got the faithful remnants left. Um, it's really weird because Brody's still in the room, but he's away now <laughs> so you've just got me and Harold um, who will honk at the appropriate times as I outline the difference between the doctrine of revelation as held by the Catholic Church and as held by uh, what I would describe as reformed evangelical or biblical Christianity um, essentially uh, because this chapter really is on about how we know God speaks and how he speaks finally and completely through his son uh, there is the possibility that somebody might raise the question of where the church sits in on all of this, uh, particularly the Catholic Church, if they have a Catholic background. Um, and so it's probably helpful to know a bit about the background of what both parties believe about uh, the Son speaking. Now, both of them will um, hold to the truth that um, God speaks through his scripture. Uh, the difference is that the Roman Catholic Church will hold that there are actually two means or modes by which God speaks. He speaks through scripture, yes, but he also speaks through tradition. Uh, yes, right, it's the heresy. Essentially what they want to say, and, and you've got to be careful here because there are a lot more nuance than people will give them credit. Um, 
is that the sacred deposit of faith that Paul talks about in one of his letters to Timothy is actually made up of two components. Uh, they'll say that it consists of scripture, which is the written component, and of tradition, which is the spoken or oral component that is passed down through what we call apostolic succession. So when Jesus appointed his 12 apostles, um, they say that they then appointed their own successors who appointed their own successors and that continued from the early church all the way to today uh, such that the Pope is the direct uh, successor along the line of um, other popes and it all goes back to this guy called Peter who was one of the 12 disciples originally and so what they want to say is that this dual um, means of, of revelation is the means by which we know truth from God um, as such, the Pope and his bishops, uh, they form a thing called the Magisterium. Uh, they're the ones that are able to not just authoritatively interpret Scripture, but also make declarations that should be considered to have the same authority as Scripture. Now, we go to uh, biblical Christianity and we see uh, that this is not true. We only believe that Scripture is the authentic, true and trustworthy revelation of God. And we have this phrase called sola scriptura, uh, which arises from the Reformation, which basically means that it is scripture alone by which we have the truth. Now, as you can see, that there's a big difference here, right? Um, on the one hand, we think it's just scripture as the authority. On the other hand, the Roman Catholic Church thinks that it is the dual thing of tradition and scripture. Um, now, let's just be clear here. It's not to say that Christianity, as we know it, thinks that scripture is the only source of revelation. Uh, but it does believe that it is the ultimate source of revelation. It will accept experience, it will accept science, it will accept reason, and all of those things as sources of authority. But ultimately, those sources of authority are to be subjugated uh, and put under the authority of Scripture. And so that means when we have an experience, uh, when we uh, have logic, um, and that helps us to conclude certain things, um, that may well be true, uh, but if we get to a point where it contradicts what Scripture says, then we know that we've either reasoned wrongly or we've interpreted our experience wrongly, and we submit to Scripture. The difference, of course, with the Roman Catholics is they say that, no, that's not necessarily the case. Um, scripture is not the only thing that is required. Um, we require uh, the revelation that God speaks through his bishops today. Now, I've got a little quote here from... Um, the Roman Catholic Catechism, just to give you an idea of where the rubber really hits the road. They say that the church does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honoured with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. And then the author of a book that I'm reading goes on to say that this quote denies the sufficiency of scripture, by which he means that uh, the doctrine, that great doctrine that says the only thing that we need for salvation and, and knowing how to live a godly life is, is located in the Scripture. Now, the big problem with all of this, obviously, is that by saying that tradition is on par with Scripture, uh, that men who are fallible and sinful are able to affirm uh, infallibly uh, the truth as well as Scripture. And that actually pits effectively two authorities against each other. And so one of the things I just wanted you to be aware of, that's basically the distinction between the two of them, um, and just be aware that um, because the Roman, Church, Roman Catholic Church holds to this dual notion of authority, um, you can actually have contradictions 
um, and ultimately one is going to trump the other and in practice what's happened in the Roman Catholic Church is that tradition has trumped scripture uh, and the classic example of that is the doctrine of Mary and the declaration that she was sinless uh, which flies in the face of the scriptural affirmation that no one is righteous not even one you can go to Romans chapter 3 verse 10 to see that um, and so in practice having the two sources of authority doesn't actually work uh, one will end up trumping the other and in this case uh, what happens is functionally uh, the Catholic Church holds to tradition over Scripture, uh, thereby maligning the Word of God, uh, the message that he spoke through his Son, uh, the one that we see in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. So hopefully that was helpful. I will catch you guys a bit later. Uh, so how about I pray and then we can move on and do our lives. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this message from Hebrews. Thank you that you do in these last days speak through your Son and his Word is reliable and trustworthy. Uh, and the only word that is able to save us. I pray that we will only ever look to him for our authority and confidence in truth, and that you'll be blessing us as we do so. It's in his name we pray. Amen.